0: I am Eden and I'm Nicole. Welcome to Roadside Roadside Horror Show Show. and it has been a horror show this week because Mm -hmm. I had to change my story four times.
1: That's how you know it's quality. So we are in Kentucky, Kentucky, the bluegrass state. Have you ever been to Kentucky?
0: I have not but when I worked at a call center everyone was impressed by the fact that I knew that it's Louisville and not Louisville so
1: that's good. I have definitely heard people pronounce it Louisville before. I'm like, yeah. that is just in no way, shape or form. Correct.
0: No, it's Lou, a vol with a vol, like a vol. Yeah. Like a vol. Mm-hmm. Gotcha.
1: Gotcha. So I do have some delightful facts about the bluegrass state, which is Kentucky's nickname. Surprise, surprise. Yeah, really? That's no surprise <laughs> to anyone. <laughs> uh, the first one is, you know, just about Kentucky itself. The name Kentucky comes from an Iroquois word. Ken-ta-ten, which means land of tomorrow. All oh, right. Which is interesting, I guess. Yeah, I guess so. I think it's because Kentucky's like that first flat land when you get over the True. Appalachians. Yeah. So I get it. That's tomorrow. Oh,
0: yeah, everything like in like I mean not like the extreme west, mm-hmm. but like everything in that general area then becomes like super flat. Like oh, the Great Plains. Kansas is just like no, we're just flat, completely flat. <laughs> <laughs>
1: So, other fun facts about Kentucky. Kentucky is known as the horse capital of the world.
0: Horses, that makes sense.
1: Right? Horses have been a part of the Kentucky economy since the state was first settled in the 18th century. And today, the horse industry, so, you know, breeding, racing, selling, caring for horses, it makes up $3 billion in the state's annual economy.
0: Makes sense with where my story takes place.
1: Ooh. Uh, Kentucky's also the number one producer of the thoroughbred breed of racehorse. Which makes a lot of sense. Yeah, uh, since it hosts the first leg of the American Triple Crown races, the end, the oldest continually held horse race, the Kentucky Derby. Yes, and those hats, big hats. That's exactly
0: <laughs> all I know of the Kentucky Derby. It's like there's peop- horses and hats. There's guys. horses,
1: hats, and mint juleps, and people like to scamble on it. That's what I know about it. Yeah, <laughs> horses are so prominent in Kentucky's culture that they're featured on like the state quarter and on the state license plate. Huh. Okay. In fact, the residents of Kentucky held a vote to change the image on their state license plate to horses.
0: Wow. It's that important to them. They love horses. Wow. Okay. Uh, There's literally horses everywhere in Kentucky. Maybe it should be called the equine state.
1: Equine state. Maybe. There's literally horses everywhere in Kentucky. In fact, for every 12 people who live in Kentucky, there's a horse.
0: That, again, makes sense. So many horses. So many horses, so little time. (laughs) Now, Eden, do you like bourbon? I do.
1: Excellent. I love bourbon, too.
0: I prefer Irish whiskey, but bourbon works in a pinch.
1: See, I like bourbon more than Irish whiskey until I went to Ireland. Then I'm like, you know what? Irish whiskey. You yeah. have a special place in my heart.
0: It For me, it goes Irish whiskey, bourbon, and then scotch. I know everyone loves scotch, but some scotches are just too much for me.
1: Yeah, it's too, too smoky. Yeah. I like bourbon because it's a little bit sweeter. Yeah, it is. And uh, we have Kentucky to thank for this delicious corn-based alcohol. It was invented in Kentucky. And Kentucky still produces 95% of the world's bourbon supply.
0: That makes sense because, you know, when I think of Kentucky, I do think of bourbon. Right. So.
1: Like Kentucky straight bourbon. That's mm-hmm. like the thing. Bourbon's actually the only distilled spirit that was invented in America. And in 1964, a federal law was passed. That standardized its production because it's like the American spirit. Mm-hmm. To be considered a bourbon, the alcohol must be 51%, at least 51% corn, aged in new charred oak barrels and stored at no more than 150 proof and bottled at no less than 80 proof. Interesting. Yeah. So very specific things.
0: I definitely didn't know that.
1: Yeah. Oh, other fun fact. You, can re- you can't reuse the barrels after you age your bourbon. Okay, But they have to be brand new. You have to charm yourself, that sort of thing. So these bourbon distilleries use their barrels, they age their spirits, and they kind of don't know what else to do with them. So they started to sell them to other alcohol makers and other industries, which is why you always see things like the bourbon cast age, like tequilas, and I actually came across a bourbon cask aged Irish whiskey in Cork. It was delicious. Oh, nice. The bourbon barrel beers. There's even like barbecue sauces out there that'll be like bourbon barrel. Yeah. And it's because they were like, hey, you want these barrels? They're cheap.
0: Exactly. Yeah.
1: I thought that was cool.
0: That is pretty cool.
1: Eden, did you know the song Happy Birthday was written in Kentucky?
0: I did not. Yeah. I just know that if you sing it in public, you're going to get in trouble because it's <gasps> copyrighted.
1: Yeah it used to be right because yeah. you go to like you know whatever restaurant and your family decides to humiliate you by making all the waiters come out and sing that really oh. weird off-key
0: happy birthday <laughs> happy happy birthday from Applebee's to you <laughs> exactly
1: that was because it was copyrighted but the song actually um, went through a federal lawsuit and oh. in 2014 it was declared public domain so no more off-tempo crap hurled at you while you're trying to enjoy your free Sunday
0: that's kind of cool and it's funny because since I did the Applebee's one um i was at tgi fridays one time and there was someone having a birthday there then all of a sudden they come out and their happy birthday song is happy happy birthday from friday's crew to you (laughs) i'm like this is just the happy birthday song from applebee's
1: i feel like there's been a couple places times that i've been in mexican restaurants for birthdays and it's like happy birthday but it's sung to the tune of la cucaracha Okay. So happy birthday, happy birthday,
0: happy birthday to you. Oh my God. And
1: I'm like, I don't, mm -mm, mm -mm, I just want to enjoy my enchiladas in peace. (laughs) But yeah, Happy Birthday was written in Kentucky by two sisters, Patty and Mildred Hill in 1893. And it's one of the most recognized songs in the English language. Nice. So wherever you go, you can sing Happy Birthday and most folks will know what the hell you're singing.
0: Well, let's hope so.
1: All right. Next fun fact. I think you'll like this one. All right. The post-it note. Was invented.
0: By Romy and Michelle. Sorry. Oh, damn it.
1: <laughs> it was invented by Art Fry in 1974
0: at 3M. <laughs> <laughs> that I actually did know from that movie.
1: <sighs> and actually, the special glue was invented a couple years earlier by Dr. Spencer Silver. So, sorry, Michelle.
0: In my dream, though. I did know the formula for glue. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Uh, Kentucky has lots of interesting museums, of course, like most places. The one that I thought was the most interesting and also terrifying at the same time is the Vent Haven Museum in Fort Mitchell, Kentucky. It's a place where you can find the world's largest collection of ventriloquist dummies.
0: Oh, creepy.
1: Right? Like, I hope the lighting is very bright in that place.
0: Of course. Now, since Buffy the Vampire Slayer, I always just think of that episode of Buffy with the ventriloquist dummy that was possessed.
1: (laughs) I often think of uh, this old Canadian show called Friday the 13th.
0: Oh all, god. all the yes. antiques were like possessed yep. there's
1: definitely a terrifying dummy episode mm-hmm. of that
0: what was with them taking movies at that time and making tv shows that had really nothing to do with the movies because there was also like poltergeist the legacy there was friday the 13th there was like
1: i think it's because they were like usually like canadian shows and then they would retitle them for american audiences oh, So that be, like, makes sense people like friday the 13th this yeah. works So the state capital, Frankfurt, uh, has one of the most poignant war memorials I've ever encountered. Oh. It's really cool. It's the Kentucky Vietnam Veterans Memorial, which is basically this large sundial that honors the uh, 1,108 Kentuckians who were killed or went missing in action during the Vietnam War. Oh, wow. Now, the really neat thing is the way this memorial functions. Each veteran's name is precisely engraved on this blue granite slate base for the sundial. And there's a shadow that the dial pointer were, will cast that touches their name on the day and time of their death. Okay. So basically, every year each individual gets a personal tribute. I thought that was really lovely. That is really nice. I'm like, oh, tear. I got a little teary eyed yeah. reading about it. Then I looked at a bunch of pictures and got even more teary eyed. And then I moved on. Fun fact Okay. Abraham Lincoln was the only president born in Kentucky and he was born in a log cabin. Okay. Related fun fact. His Confederate counterpart, Jefferson Davis, was also born in Kentucky, also in a log cabin. Wow. Log cabin, boys. Who knew?
0: And there's a log cabin in my story as well, so we're just continuing this trend.
1: Excellent. I'm glad all my fun facts are relevant. I know. (laughs) Uh, I have a couple more, and then you can jump into your tale. Um, Kentucky is the home of a lot of manufacturing plants, including some notable automotive makers. Oh, the largest Toyota plant in the world is located in Georgetown, Kentucky.
0: That's weird cuz Toyota is like Japanese. Japanese. Yeah. So Interestingly, the All Toyota right.
1: plant completely American owned though. Yeah. So yeah.
0: My car's a Toyota. I love Toyotas. Too, They're really good.
1: Too. Since 1981, every Chevrolet Corvette in the world has been produced by a plant in Bowling Green.
0: Huh, okay.
1: So if you're driving a Vet that's newer than an 80 year, we're driving around a piece of Kentucky proud assembled machinery.
0: Interesting. <laughs> I didn't know that. Yeah.
1: Now, Eden, you've heard of Fort Knox, right?
0: Yes, of course.
1: It's what I think of when I think of gold, right?
0: Yes, exactly.
1: Uh, It's actually technically where they store the gold, known as the U.S.
0: Bullion Depository. Which, of course, is why whenever something is secure, they say locked up tighter than Fort Knox.
1: Exactly. And uh, Fort Knox houses like over half of the U.S. federal gold reserves. Uh, It's a tremendous amount of gold. It is... 4,583 metric tons of gold, Hmm. which is worth about $236.4 billion.
0: Wow. Okay. That was very Dr. Evil. Thank you for that. I mean, how
1: could I not? I kept thinking (laughs) a gold member the entire time I was reading about Fort Knox.
0: (laughs) That's the one that I forget about because it's the worst of them.
1: I love the gold. Oh, plus I also learned that apparently it's not just gold that we house in Fort Knox. Anytime there is uh, maybe a time of war or insecurity in the mm-hmm. country, they will move precious American possessions like the Constitution, Declaration of Independence, Bill of Rights to Fort Knox for safekeeping. Uh, okay. No one's allowed to visit Fort Knox. Well the, well, the Fort Knox depository facility. And only one president, FDR, and only one co- congressional delegation in 1974 have actually been inside the vaults at Fort Knox.
0: Really? Yep. Wow. So it really is locked up tighter than Fort Knox. That's insane. I never knew that.
1: Yep, yep. Those are my fun facts for Kentucky.
0: That was very interesting. Thank you.
1: Yeah. So you have a story for us today. I do. All right, I'm ready.
0: My story for this week takes place in Alexandria, Kentucky. It's one of two county seats of Campbell County, along with Newport. It's up as far north in the state as you can get and smack dab in the middle of Campbell County. Its population is just a little under 10,000 and has an area of 6.9 square miles. It's possible that the town was named after Alexandria, Virginia.
1: That makes sense, right? Because Kentucky used to be part of Virginia.
0: I think so. Something like that. Um, And that's where the supposed first settlers were from. Oh. Although the Spillman family founded the area technically in 1793... It first got a post office in 1819, was established in 1834, became the county seat in 1840, and wasn't incorporated until 1856.
1: That's a busy set of decades, huh? Yeah.
0: So there was even a dispute over it becoming the county seat because most people in the county lived in Newport, which I guess is why they share it now. hmm Alexandria is probably most well-known for its fairs, which are organized by the Agricultural Society, which benefits local farmers, but is most widely regarded for their horse shows. Surprise, surprise. Exactly. They also have a really beautiful-looking park called Alexandria Community Park that has what looks like a big lake surrounded by a whole lot of greenery. It features a playground for kids, beautiful walking paths, and is also known to be a great spot to go fishing. It's also home to an interesting, scandalous story of murder. Well, I mean, that was not really a spoiler at all. So (laughs) I don't know why I just was like, let's pause for dramatic effect, but whatever. Uh,
1: (laughs) I appreciated it.
0: I had never heard this one before. uh, So I think it should be pretty interesting. This is the story of the murder of Bob Bosley.
1: Wait, that name sounds familiar. Maybe. Well,
0: he's not the hair guy.
1: Okay. That's what I immediately was thinking of. So, woo.
0: <laughs> no. This one actually didn't happen all too long ago, and I've never heard it done on a podcast. So, I really was excited to cover it. Watch now one of the big name true crime podcasts out there. will probably cover it next because mm-hmm. that's literally what happened when I covered Helicrafts, and I was so sad. It was like the next week, and that's why we did it.
1: Well, you know, you're bleeding edge.
0: I guess. Anyway, let me tell you a little bit about our victim. Bob Bosley was born on August 6th, 1962. I couldn't find much of anything about his wife, Amy's background, but I'm pretty sure that she was from a well-off family or at least lived quite comfortably before she married Bob. Okay. These two were pretty much town royalty. Their lives seemed to be pretty great. They had two kids and loads of money. Morgan, a daughter, was 9 or 10 at the time of the murder, and their son Trevor was 6 or 7 depending on the source. Bob owned a roofing business which was quite successful. It was a million dollar company. Wow. So, yeah. They had a really beautiful log cabin style house. Bob was also a pilot. He owned boats, had fancy cars. They just had this amazing life, it would seem.
1: Yeah, that sounds pretty killer.
0: Oh, yeah. No pun intended. That was actually pretty good, yeah. (laughs) Even though they had a lot, it was said that Bob was also a pretty generous guy. He would donate to charities and was said to also have worked for free on someone's roof around Christmas time one year, according to his mom.
1: That's pretty awesome to be in that kind of position.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Sadly, all good things come to an end, right? On the night of May 17th, 2005, around dawn, there is a 911 call placed by Amy, and she sounds totally scared and hysterical. She's saying that someone broke into the house, and she's crying, and she says that she can still hear the person downstairs.
1: Holy shit, that's terrifying.
0: Yeah. What had happened was they woke up shortly before to this man in the bedroom, and then he shot Bob and ran out of the room which is when Amy called 9 on
1: Oh, my God.
0: You can even hear uh, her shout at one point, no, you can't go up there with my kids. So, like, that's really terrifying. Uh, she just sounds so terrified the entire time, and it's just a really horrible 9-on-1 call to listen to. At the end of the call, you hear a noise of some sort, and then there's no one on the other end of the phone. Like, Amy's end just drops out. mm They send the cops out and they call Amy back asking if the gunman is still in the house but she says that he just ran out. She is still in hysterics and keeps saying he shot my husband, he shot my husband. It only took a few minutes for the cops to arrive and they found Bob Bosley slumped face down over the bed with multiple bullet wounds. There were blood on the sheets. Uh, They found Amy with her clothes torn and some cuts on her breasts and behind her ear. Weird. So probably like defensive wounds. Yeah. So Bob was dead on arrival, but Amy and the kids were fine.
1: That's good, at least.
0: They took Amy back to the station to get her statement, and she described the gunman as a white male, approximately 5'6", 170 pounds, and said he wore a stocking over his face like you see in the movies when people rob banks. Gotcha. Other distinguishable features were that he had a speech impediment and she said that he smelled like urine, which, ew.
1: Oh, nasty. Yeah,
0: gross. Take a shower, buddy. Upon further investigation into the house, they found pill bottles with pills just all over the place. The cabinets were open. Items were strewn about like someone was looking for something. Hmm. They started to think that with all the pills everywhere that they may have, this may have been drug-related like someone trying to sell prescription medication.
1: Yeah, I can definitely see that, especially given the description of the perpetrator. Yeah.
0: He needed something like called stink away, I think. Stink away. <laughs> so they also found shell casings and could figure that the gun was a 9 millimeter handgun of some sort. Okay. They were also able to create a series of events from what Amy, the only eyewitness, had told them. They think the killer came in through the back door after breaking a window. It was one of those pane doors in the back.
1: Yeah, like with the French doors with the little with bunch of little panes. Little panes, yeah. yeah.
0: He goes through looking for drugs to sell, then hears someone upstairs and goes up, shoots Bob, and goes about his business. They also end up finding a safe in the house that had been untouched. And here's where the case becomes a bit scandalous. Remember how I said this seemed like a fairy tale? Yeah. Well. Bob was kind of a playboy. Oh. He had tons of money, loved to go out on his boat and throw parties with a bunch of young ladies who weren't his wife. He loved to take his boat out to Lake Cumberland and have these crazy parties that seem pretty much from the few pictures that I was able to see, just like a full-blown bacchanalia. Wow. Tons of alcohol, tons of naked ladies.
1: I'm just picturing the party scene from Overboard.
0: It's pretty much like that.
1: Okay. (laughs)
0: So, they found this out because inside the safe were all these pictures of him doing just that. Bob was a relatively young guy. He was in his early 40s by this point. Okay. Uh, he was handsome and appeared to be in good shape, and he was a wealthy business owner. So, in other words, a nice hunk of man meat for some young 20-something. hmm After this, they began to formulate a new theory. Since a lot of the pictures were of scantily clad women or sometimes naked women, they pretty much saw them as possible suspects. They had already ruled out Amy and figured maybe one of the women may have had something to do with it or maybe their significant others.
1: Yeah, like they found out they were keeping time on
0: Bob's party boat. Yep, exactly. So they sent out the canine unit hoping, you know, to get the killer's sent. But I don't really think anything ever came of that. Okay. Things got a little weird. When they did the autopsy and they found that Bob had been shot seven times, but when the police looked around the scene of the crime, they had only found two shell casings, meaning the killer would have had to pick up the rest and just missed the two that they had found.
1: Oh, that's, that's weird. Yeah. If it's like a junkie who broke into like steal pills, that doesn't seem very...
0: Exactly. Yeah. So by this point, they had ruled out robbery as a possible motive for this crime and instead were looking into more personal reasons. Amy had told them that she suspected that it may have been a client of Bob's or maybe an employee seeking revenge since when Bob was angry, he didn't really try to hide it and would tell you exactly how he felt. They began looking into employees and ex-employees who may have been disgruntled. In his business, there was a lot of turnover, so it didn't seem too far outside the realm of possibility. Okay. One suspect was a longtime friend and coworker named Noah Haim, Haim, who allegedly had a fight with Bob two days prior to his murder. Noah had even been Bob's best man at their wedding.
1: Oh, was he five, six?
0: I don't know. I don't know how tall he was. <laughs> um, their fight had apparently been over money that Noah had owed Bob. When he was interviewed, it turned out that he had an alibi for the time of the murder. So that was pretty much shot. After a while of checking up on people who worked for Bob, they all pretty much said the same thing, that he was this stand-up guy and very generous with everyone. Mm-hmm. So but a he...
1: straight shooter, it sounds like. When you pissed yeah. him off, he let you know about it.
0: But like no one had like any quarrel with him, it seemed.
1: Okay. Plot thickens.
0: Exactly. So they went back to the risque photos for some new leads, identifying one of the ladies as Darla Cope, who he may have been having an affair with. That was the rumor.
1: Darla is like such an other woman's name. (laughs) It is, I know.
0: So Darla talked with police, and it turned out that not only did she have an alibi for the time of the murder, but she also didn't have a jealous boyfriend or spouse. Hmm. Now, it gets especially crazy when they start talking to the children, which, again, just make me a damn detective already because this would have been like the first thing I did after talking to the wife. Morgan, the daughter, contradicted the order of events put forth by Amy, saying that first she heard the gunshots and then the sound of breaking glass, so it would seem that maybe this had all been an elaborate staging.
1: Uh Uh-oh.
0: They decided to get a warrant for the house then and checked in the basement where they found an aluminum bat hidden behind the stairs, which upon further investigation had some glass stuck in it. (gasps) Amy. They used a refractive index to compare the glass found in the bat to the glass on the pane on the door, and they were a match. Mm. Furthermore, there was also wood on the bat, which matched the door frame. Mm. Now, when the bat was shown to the kids, surely enough, they said it was theirs. (gasps) Also, this is a real dumb, dumb move on behalf of the police and Amy, who, spoiler alert, Is obviously the killer at this point. (laughs) One of my unfinished mystery novels that I had been writing, which I may still finish at some point if I ever have time, involved an elaborate cover up by a wife that killed her husband and tried to say someone broke in. And they only found out that she did the crime in the end because of where the glass had landed when a window was broken as a fake entry point. Mm. The broken glass was outside not inside the house where it would have been if someone had broken in from outside i was also going to have specks of dirt from the ground on the glass because my killer would have been smart enough to move it inside after she realized what she did however amy was not that smart and left the broken glass on the outside of the door which the simple laws of physics would suggest that it had been broken from inside asshat (laughs) also rookie mistake number two for amy she left a towel at the bottom of the washing machine with her other four shell casings in it. What? Double ass hat.
1: Oh my goodness.
0: Or five or whatever they were. Make that triple ass hat because instead of ripping her shirt, which she said had been ripped by the murderer, which I guess in a weird way it kind of was by the murderer. (laughs) But uh, she cut it with a pair of scissors, which they found out when analyzing the pattern. Amy denied committing the murder when questioned. And it was funny because the detective who was talking in one of the things I watched was like, it's not uncommon for criminals to lie. It happens all the time. No shit, Dick Tracy. Where'd you park your squad car? Of course (laughs) they lie. What would they gain from telling the truth other than extra reading time since they'll be thrown in prison? So at this point, they just had to start looking at possible motives because Amy, check your hands and you might see a little red. Mm Hmm. Anyway. In another scandalous turn, they find out that her husband's roofing company hadn't paid their taxes in five years to the tune of $1.7 million. Oh, damn. And guess who the company's bookkeeper was? Amy motherfucking Bosley. (laughs) Investigators for the IRS had been talking to her about this little mix-up. And they had wanted to speak with Bob, too. And I guess she hadn't told him about her less than scrupulous bookkeeping because she refused to let them speak to him. Whoops. The best part of this is that they're like, look, lady, just put your husband on the phone. Then she just took the receiver away for a minute, placed it back to her ear and said, yes, this is this is Bob Bosley. No way. Yeah.
1: No way. No way. (laughs)
0: The IRS was like, no, Amy, not Kermit the fucking frog. Bob Bosley,
1: ma'am, ma'am, we know that too. Yeah.
0: Like she's not even good at this. (laughs) And they literally said that she sounded like Kermit the frog. So dare I say quadruple asshat.
1: Wow. Wow.
0: They had even scheduled to meet with her and Bob the morning of his murder.
1: Wow, that's a really down to the deadline.
0: She actually called the IRS agent the same day and was like, sorry, can't make the appointment. My husband's been murdered. You know how it is. Okay, thanks. Bye. <laughs> so if this wasn't enough, Amy actually thought that if Bob was dead, the problems with the IRS, since it was Bob's company, would just go away. And they'd be like, oh, well, sorry to bother you. Guess we forgot. We'll just forget, you know, all about that mysterious 1.7 million. million." It's fine. So it all comes down to this. Amy gets hounded by the IRS and instead of telling her husband that she had single-handedly destroyed his business that he had built, she murders him so she won't have to accept responsibility. Now her husband is dead. She's going to jail. And for all intents and purposes, the children have lost both their parents now. Mm Mm-hmm. I will say one thing about Amy. She is an Oscar-worthy actress because that 911 call is chilling. It sounds so real and I would never have imagined in a million years that she had been faking that call. Now, it isn't really 100% necessary to have a murder weapon when going to trial, but it sure as hell helps. Yep. They dragged lakes. They looked on land. They even sent choppers overhead, but they were not able for the life of them to find this gun. Which turned out to belong to bob by the way
1: Uh, so she took bob's gun and
0: killed him with his own gun
1: oh my goodness
0: finally they look over footage of amy leaving the house and notice that she doesn't have her bag and that her sister is actually carrying it (gasps) the sister i believe has had this bag the whole damn time and she never looked in it which i guess makes her a good sister since she's respecting amy's privacy but turns out that the gun was in there the entire time so she turns it over the police's evidence
1: oh damn
0: yep in court amy accepts a plea deal and was sentenced to 20 years in prison for the murder of her husband we still don't know what she did with all that money she embezzled but they were building a new house in pendleton county which is the county right below campbell if i'm not mistaken I didn't get to see much of this house, but it looked very much like a castle. It even had a stained glass window with like a bee oh in it goodness. for Bosley. Yeah. yeah. Um. So it was very much a castle. Uh. So they think that the money was probably going toward that and boats and other goodies. Mm-hmm. Uh. They also there's also a possibility that Amy has the money stashed away somewhere and will probably live off that. For a while, once she gets out of prison, prison, which, if my math is correct, should be 2026. So unfortunately, it's coming up. I guess we'll find out, huh? Yeah, because like he was shot in 2005, mm-hmm. um, and then she was convicted in 2006. So coming up, unfortunately. It was also heartbreaking in court where Bob's family spoke to Amy. His brother said, you have no respect for life. You are a liar and a fake yikes his sister said did he yell out for you to stop we'll never know
1: (gasps) that's so damning i
0: know and then his mom said i didn't even get to see my son i didn't even get to say goodbye which is really heartbreaking Mm. i normally don't like plea deals because i feel like a lot of these murderers deserve worse than what they get sometimes with them and i certainly think that in this case as well Because she deserved more than 20 years. Because this was obviously premeditated.
1: Oh, for sure, yeah.
0: Um, But I'm just happy that the kids didn't have to go to trial and testify. Because they're already going through enough. They had it hard enough, as Mm -hmm. far as I'm concerned. Even the Bosley family said as much. Although they would have liked to see Amy stay in prison for life. That's fair. But they were also happy the kids didn't have to testify. Also, in regards to the cops who investigated the murder, it seems like some of them even though she had been ruled out as a suspect early on, didn't buy into her story, according to ABC News. They said that she would go from, you know, crying to, quote, bashing her husband. And also, and although she was crying, there was no tears. Yeah. All in all, with this one, I just feel really horrible for the kids. And although I couldn't find it anywhere, I'm assuming the kids got to stay with the grandparents or the aunt and uncle. Yeah. Um, they all seem to really care about the kids. So I'm hoping that's the case because foster care is hell for the majority of kids who are placed in there from what I've seen. Mm-hmm. And with siblings, they always end up splitting them up. So Nicole, thoughts? Should we go searching in Kentucky for Amy's possible buried treasure maybe?
1: <laughs> I, I, You know, it's interesting because at face value, it does seem like a home invasion. But then there's like immediately when it's like her husband shot and then like, her story is that the killer didn't shoot her and just went to go look for pills. Yeah. That initially seemed kinda of weird to me.
0: Maybe his nerves were shot and he needed like a Xanax or something I after guess, shooting Bob.
1: But like and then and then like the fact that she had defensive wounds but like didn't say how that happens. Yeah. Is also really that jumped out to me initially, but
0: with oh. the torn shirt and the scratches on her breasts, I would have gone with rape if I was gonna lie and say that someone you know and
1: that like her husband like died trying to protect her
0: something like that yeah
1: but then like the other thing that's really weird to me not that I would ever
0: lie about anything like that because that's horrible but you know what I mean guys yeah
1: the other thing that's really weird about this case is the pictures of Bob's party boat and his ladies in the safe yeah like who Takes photos and puts it in your own safe. I know of oh, like super l-
0: incriminating things that could destroy your marriage.
1: Yeah, that seemed really odd to me. And for a moment I was like, Oh, is somebody blackmailing him?
0: Well, I also left this out, but there were rumors that they were both having affairs. Oh. I don't know how true it is. It's just, you know, town gossip. But
1: mm-hmm, mm-hmm. interesting. But yeah. Ugh. Yeah. I you know, and the sad thing is this probably happens all the time. Oh yeah. And sure people it does. who are far smarter than Amy. Oh, yeah. Get away with it. It's so infuriating.
0: Because, I mean, Amy um, was kind of a little bit of a Kim. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Well, my sources for this week were Wikipedia, thedeadlywomen.fandom.com, findagrave.com, fox19.com, an episode of Forensic Files called Dirty Laundry, abcnews.go.com, Murderpedia, and oxygen.com, because they also did a snapped episode. Oh, on her. And I love Snapped, but I could not find the episode to watch. Oh, that's a
1: bummer. I love Snapped, too. Yeah, it's so good. All right, well, thanks for that story, Eden.
0: Absolutely. I really enjoyed my story this week, so I'm kind of glad the other ones did not turn out, I guess.
1: Yeah, I think it's well worth, you know, revisiting the story because that one was great.
0: Yeah. Well, guys, I guess we're going to take a little break, and then we'll be right back with Nicole's story. Hey, hey guys, Eden and Nicole here. We wanted to let you know about the second annual Pocono Witches Festival, where Roadside Horror Show will be having their very first live show.
1: Come join us at Slippery Rock Resort in Lake Harmony, Pennsylvania for a spooky yet funny show in a haunted location.
0: You can experience all the beauty of Lake Harmony while getting your spooky on with several events, hosted by our friend, the Pocono Witch, E. Massey.
1: Enjoy a spooktacular event that's the third largest of its kind in the tri-state area. Take in a seance with medium Glenda Dawson, Or enjoy a paranormal investigation with Mark Keyes from TV's Paranormal 911 and Virginia Rose Centrillo from TV's The Haunted.
0: Hungry, we've got you covered with a psychic breakfast. And you can finish it all up with a masquerade ball and maybe take part in a Samhain ritual.
1: You can also enjoy special guest presenter, author Christopher Penzek, as well as a live concert with Metamorph. It's all happening October 23rd to October 25th at beautiful Split Rock Resort.
0: All of those are ticketed events, but will be at the Magical Market on Saturday, October 24th, which is completely free and open to the public. You can find nearly 100 unique vendors with all their own goodies. And of course, you'll you get, get to, to see, see us for free. free.
1: So come down to the Split Rock Resort and show us some love. The tickets are available now at com, where you can also find more information about the events.
0: That's com come tell us your stories and listen as we tell a few of our own at our very first ever live show until then guys creep creep on creeping creeping on on. and we are back
1: we're back so i know i told you i was going to cover bob mackie bobby mackie's world of music yeah yeah it's in wilder kentucky and i was like ooh, i love this thing so much that you know i've written like some adventure stories about it for one of our game campaigns because y'all If it wasn't obvious enough we definitely role
0: play we're huge nerds
1: yep but i started doing my research and i ended up on way too many ghost adventure fan sites and saw way too many zach videos that i just couldn't deal with it and then i read a little bit more and a lot of the websites i was on debunked the whole haunting thing at this honky honky tonk nightclub so i was like you know what there's got to be other weird stuff in kentucky right yeah
0: oh that is one thing i wanted to tell you quick yeah um, I may or may not be on another podcast at some point. Ooh. Our friend Damon is thinking about making a D&D podcast. Oh,
1: I'd be into that. I yeah. love D&D.
0: So, I mean, if our work schedules could ever sync up again now that we're all on different ones.
1: I bought some fancy new dice. Ooh,
0: nice. Just
1: saying.
0: Anyway. I'm sorry. I had to, I had to pimp that out and I will give the name out once he actually comes up with one, new but.
1: Projects. So, Kentucky's weird shit. Uh, I was like, "What can I? What can I do? Let me let me see what Kentuckians are talking about." And boy, was I thrilled with what I have discovered.
0: Ooh, okay, I'm excited.
1: So, we're gonna explore Kentucky's experience with weird, otherworldly phenomena today. So, the paranormal story is actually gonna take place in a bunch of different locations because it's a bunch of little smaller stories that take place in Kentucky. Okay. I found a bunch of unusual events that made me wonder just how many times aliens have visited Kentucky.
0: Oh, God. Well, I think that's like one of like the biggest places for it, actually. You are totally right. All right. And you know that there's been like a big, what's the word I'm looking for, increase in the amount of like UFO sightings since coronavirus happened, right? Of course,
1: because people are at home looking at the sky, bored. I don't know, but there's like a ton of interesting stories in kentucky and i'm like do aliens just love bourbon as much as we do
0: apparently i mean it's good stuff
1: is bluegrass music the secret secretly the best way to talk to aliens
0: no according to mars attacks it's slim whitman (laughs) well actually no their heads blow up but you know
1: like i said the best way to (laughs) (laughs) well hopefully we might find some answers probably not to these questions and more as we talk about these unexplained encounters in kentucky so our first stop, touching on something we already chatted about a little bit in the introduction, we're stopping in Fort Knox.
0: All right. Kentucky. I was like, what? Horses? But horses. Not no. horses. Fort
1: Knox. Um, so it's a, it is an active U.S. Army base. It's 170 square miles. It's a pretty big base. And it's located just south of Louisville. Uh, it's named after Henry Knox, who was the chief of artillery in the American Revolutionary War and was the U.S.'s first secretary of war. So, aside from housing the U.S. Bullion Depository, for many years, Fort Knox was also the home of the Army Armor School, which is where soldiers learn how to drive armored vehicles like tanks. Okay. It's also home to Godman Army Airfield, which is a 4 runway way military airport that's used exclusively by the U.S. Army Air Corps. Nice. And it is where one of the first fatal UFO encounters occurred. Fatal? Mm-hmm. Fatal. So... Way back on January 7th, 1948, the Kentucky Highway Patrol started receiving reports of an unusual object in the air near Madisonville, Kentucky. Eyewitnesses reported seeing a metallic object heading west. The object was said to be about 300 feet in diameter and had a green vapor trail behind it. Eyewitnesses saw the object flying erratically and then occasionally rising very quickly in altitude before zipping, continued to zip in a western direction. Wow. So the Kentucky Highway Patrol is like, uh, that's headed towards Fort Knox. We better notify the Army. So they reach out to the Army and they start to look for it. Around 1.45 p.m. that afternoon, the object was spotted by the Godman Army Airfield Control Tower. A colonel who was stationed in the control tower reported an object he described as, quote, very white and about one-fourth the size of the full moon. Through binoculars, it appeared to have a red border on the bottom remained stationary seemingly for one and a half hours end quote all right some of the eyewitnesses on the ground at the airfield described the object as having quote the appearance of a flaming red cone dragging a gaseous green mist
0: weird
1: Mm Hmm. meanwhile nearby there were four f-51 mustang fighter planes in the air already conducting some training exercises They were under the command of Captain Thomas Mantell, who was a World War II vet who was honored for his part in the Battle of Normandy. So a pretty experienced pilot. Wow. These four Mustang fighter planes were ordered to investigate the object since they were already in the air.
0: So what year is this? 1948. 48. Okay.
1: One of the four pilots returned to base since his plane was low on fuel. So the remaining three pilots began this very steep, high altitude pursuit of this object. According to one source, Captain Mantel Radio backed the control tower as they made visual contact and described the object as, quote, tremendous in size and metallic." Huh. So the, objects, so the object is continuing to climb very rapidly. Once it reaches about 22,000 feet, Mantel's wingmen suggest that they call up the pursuit. They didn't have the proper oxygen equipment, no yeah. masks on the flight because it was a training exercise. And they couldn't go much higher without any serious risk to themselves. Makes sense. Mantell ignores their suggestions and continues to follow the object in altitude as it ascends while the other pilots level off at 20,000 feet. Okay. As Mantell reaches 25,000 feet, he radios back to the control tower. He lets them know that he's closing in on the object and then is heard saying, my God, I see people in this thing.
0: Ooh, okay.
1: That's the last radio communication they heard from Antel. What?
0: No, I don't like this.
1: Yep. So the guys in the control tower can repeatedly try to contact him, but they're not able to reach him. A short while later, a plane crash is reported on a farm south of Franklin, Kentucky. Witnesses saw a fighter plane falling out of the sky. As it fell, it was sort of spinning in this really tight spiral. When authorities get to the scene... The destroyed plane looks like it basically belly flopped out of the sky. Oh, no. Just landed right in its belly. Sadly, Captain Mantell was killed, and every bone in his body was crushed. Oh, my God. Weirdly, though, there was no blood at the scene. So even though his, his body was basically crushed by the impact, it didn't, like, splatter everywhere. It was just... That's
0: weird. Right?
1: Super creepy and weird. They were able to recover his body. They noticed his watch had stopped at 3.18 p.m., which was their confirmed time of the crash. Yeah. Now, this incident was widely reported in newspapers around the country, and it kind of started this whole bevy of speculation about what caused Mentel's crash and what exactly he was chasing over Kentucky that January day.
0: Well, yeah, it should.
1: (laughs) So the military was like, we got to get some answers out there fast for people. So at first they're like, oh, Mantel crashed because he flew too high and he lost consciousness due to oxygen deprivation. Totally makes sense. He didn't have an oxygen mask on his plane that day. And when they were asked about what he was pursuing, at first they were like, uh, it was the planet Venus. It was causing an optical illusion.
0: Oh, fuck that. (laughs) Exactly. No, Not buying it.
1: And a lot of other people didn't either. Uh, It didn't make sense. The primary reasons why it didn't make sense is that there was a bunch of witnesses on the ground who reported seeing an object that day. Yeah. And then at that time of year in January, Venus would have been
0: this tiny pinpoint of light in the sky. It wouldn't have been like a large celestial body. It's also not cone-shaped and doesn't leave a green vapor trail. (laughs) That too. So, or move that fast. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Or move erratically through the sky. Yeah. Plus, on the day of the incident, it was hazy out. So, the pilots wouldn't even have been able to see Venus, period. Yeah. Later, the military is like, all right, so actually what had happened was... Okay. Captain Mantel had mistaken uh, a U.S. Navy Skyhook weather balloon as the object. Now, in 1948, these weather balloons, which were these 100-foot diameter reflective balloons, basically, that they sent up to track weather, yeah. they were highly classified. And no one at Goblin Airfield would have been aware of them, including Captain Mantel. However... When a couple of researchers looked at the military records around the Skyhook project, they discovered that there weren't any weather balloons released at all during that particular week in January of 1948. So, hmm, try again, U.S. military. Yeah. To this day, we still don't know what the hell that was. Okay. It's been over 60 years, and that was pretty much the beginning of decades of UFO sightings that consist of strange, erratic moving lights over the skies of Kentucky interesting in the late 1970s there was a huge burst of report reported sightings in madison and fayette counties and that actual area was dubbed the bluegrass triangle
0: interesting yeah also the triangle is apparently the weirdest shape ever because weird shit happens there very
1: sacred sacred geometry yo (laughs) speaking of sacred geometry at the same time, there were also several crop circles reported from the 1970s through 2000 in these northern Kentucky counties. So, Madison, Fayette, Woodford, and Fleming. So, a bunch of weird shit happening in this little area, basically outside of Lexington yeah. and the surrounding counties.
0: I'm wondering if this is the area of that video that I saw. Like, very well, could it be. It was a, a joke video, I'm sure, but there was this thing that looked like a spaceship behind this lady. She was, <laughs> she was on, she made this video. She was standing by a highway. She's like, Hi, now, I need a ride, so if any of y'all see this, just come pick me up. I'm right along, I whatever the highway was. Mm -hmm. And she's like, I was abducted by aliens last night. Oh, my God. And they gave me this probe, and they took off all my clothes. And, you know, I mean, I hadn't gotten any for a long time. So, you know, once my clothes are off, I thought maybe if I have sex with them, they'll just go away and put me back. So I was just like, come get it, boys. Come get it, fellas. And then they just took one look at me, and they they took all their stuff from the aircraft, and they just ran. So they stranded me here with no way home. So if any of y'all can give me a ride, that'd be real nice.
1: That definitely sounds like an SNL skit. It
0: was hysterical.
1: (laughs) So I don't have any interesting encounters like that, per se, Eden. But I know you're thinking, cool, lights in the sky, crop circles, BFD. Yeah. Well. I did find two encounters that are pretty far out there.
0: Okay. I am definitely ready to hear them. All right.
1: So they are the Stanford abduction and then the Kelly Hopkinsville encounter. Oh, I know that one. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm excited. I, I feel like uh, you'll enjoy it. Because that's that again. how I
0: found out that owls have legs. Don't spoil it. Sorry. <laughs> and watch videos of owls running because it's fucking creepy.
1: So the first abduction, Stanford abduction. On January 6, 1978, so almost 30 years to the day of Captain Mentel's crash, three friends, Mona Stratford, Louise Smith, and Ellen Thomas, were celebrating Mona's 36th birthday with a dinner at Redwoods Restaurant, which is located in Lincoln County between the towns of Lancaster and Sanford. After dinner... Wrapped up around 11.15 p.m., the ladies hopped into Louis Smith's 1967 Chevy Nova for the 45-minute drive back to their home in Liberty, Kentucky. As they neared Stanford, Kentucky, the women spotted a bright red object in the sky. It almost looked like an airplane that was on fire. Okay. The object rapidly descended and stopped about 100 yards ahead of them on the highway. And the women realized that that was definitely not a plane. It was this huge disc-shaped object with revolving yellow lights that stretched the full length of two houses and on either side of the highway. After a few moments, the object moved to the left and then zipped away and disappeared. Okay. Luis continued driving down the highway when suddenly the object appeared behind them and a bright blue light filled the car. The car began to accelerate on its own. Oh, shit. Louise was unable to steer the car and watched as the speedometer quickly approached 85 miles an hour. That's not something I want to happen Mm -mm, ever. Never. Then the women heard the car's engine stall out, but they continued speeding down the highway. The women suddenly felt a burning sensation in their eyes and then saw a wide, brightly lit road ahead of them. After a few moments, the landscape changed and they realized they were traveling down Highway 78 near Hurstonville a full eight miles from where they had just been. Oh, they lost time. They did. When they checked their watches, they realized that an hour and 20 minutes had passed. Yeah. So They arrived back in Liberty at 1.25 a.m., which is almost an hour and a half later than they thought they would get back. Each woman had a red mark, almost like a burn on the back of their neck.
0: Damn.
1: And they all had burning, irritated eyes.
0: Okay. I thought you were going to say burning, irritated buttholes, but... No, not quite. <laughs>
1: But after going to the doctor the next day, uh, two of the women did have conjunctivitis suddenly.
0: Oh, wow, really weird, right? I want to know what happened. I
1: know I
0: guess we never will find out. clean those probes
1: after over the next few days, police started getting additional reports, aside from the report from these three women that several residents in Stanford had seen the same bright object in the sky. all the res- all the reports as well matched the time that the women said that they encountered it as well. Oh, wow super weird later under hypnotic regression after the women had passed successfully a couple different polygraph yeah tests uh all the women described being taken aboard the object and they were examined by small silent beings with large dark eyes and hands like quote jagged wingtips ew mm. super
0: gross right Cuda yeah cloth. i don't like that Mm-mm.
1: They said that these beings took skin samples from them and that their eyes were temporarily removed from their sockets.
0: Oh uh, no.
1: So gross. And then put back at their heads.
0: Uh,
1: uh. And that's why their eyes burned.
0: I do not like that Mm-mm. at all. Mm-mm.
1: That was one of the anomalies uh, that I saw that was a little bit different from other abduction stories. But overall, the Stanford abduction is similar to other stories we hear about alien encounters right it's really similar to the betty and barney hill abduction we talked about on another episode of the podcast and honestly i don't think it's as interesting as the next encounter
0: no this one's nuts
1: (laughs) (laughs) so my vote for the strangest alien encounter and i use air quotes there alien encounter in kentucky is the kelly hopkinsville encounter or as it's also lovingly known as the hopkinsville goblin case yep so on the evening of Sunday, August 21st, 1955, a bright light streaked across the sky near the tiny town of Kelly, Kentucky. Several hours later, 11 terrified people showed up at the Hopkinsville police station, which was the nearest police station to Kelly. The people were all part of an extended family, the Sutton Langfords, who lived in a small farm in Kelly and were gathered for a family visit. Elmer Sutton and J.C. Sutton, along with their wives, were in town visiting their mother, Glennie Lankford, and their three younger half-siblings, who were 12, 10, and 7 years old at the time. The Sutton brothers were also accompanied by J.C.'s brother-in-law, Billy Ray Taylor, and his wife.
0: Billy Ray is like the most Southern yes, name ever. most
1: Southern name ever. Now, everybody who showed up in the police station that night was, were completely frantic, and they told police that small alien creatures had attacked their farmhouse, and they had spent the last four hours holding them off with gunfire. <laughs> Now, the police were understandably alarmed because they were concerned that maybe these folks were having a gun battle with their neighbors, so oh god, they went out to investigate. That's the
0: Hatfields and the McCoys. Mm-hmm.
1: Now, according to the group, all of this craziness started around 7 p.m. when Billy Ray Taylor was getting water from the well in the backyard. And he said that he saw a metallic silvery object with a rainbow-colored exhaust plume behind it pass over the house stop midair, and then disappear behind the tree line at the edge of the backyard. Around 8 p.m., the family dog started barking nonstop in the backyard. Billy Ray and Elmer Sutton went to investigate, and they saw a strange glow coming from the trees at the edge of the yard. In the glow, the men saw a creature standing about two to three feet tall with large pointed ears, claw-like hands, spindly legs, and glowing yellow eyes. Who do you think it could be? I wonder. Elmer Sutton provided this description to police. It had, quote, oversized heads, almost perfectly round, its arms extended almost to the ground, its hands had talons, and its oversized eyes glowed with a yellowish light. The body gave off an eerie shimmer in the moonlight as if it was made of silver metal. Ooh. Panicked, as anybody would be. Yeah. The men run back inside and grab a shotgun and a rifle. From the back door, they poked their heads out again and see that the creature had moved closer to the house. So they fired their guns at it. They said the creature raised its hands in a sort of hold up fashion and then started moving towards the back door before doing a flip and scrambling to the right and running into the darkness. Oh my God. So creepy. Yeah. Back in the house, Billy Ray and Elmer gather everyone together and tell them what they were firing at. And Glennie Lankford said a similar creature all of a sudden appeared in one of the nearby windows. Elmer fired, and the creature did a little flip and disappeared. Wow. Glenny said the creature, quote, looked like a five-gallon gasoline can with a head on top and small legs. Huh. It was a shimmering bright metal like on my refrigerator.
0: That's an interesting description.
1: It is. But then the terror continued. They saw an other shape quickly dart past the back door, and Billy Ray again stepped outside to investigate. Suddenly, a claw-like hand reached down from the back porch roof and grabbed his hair.
0: Oh, my God.
1: The family pulls Billy right back into the house as Elmer fires at the hand. They hear another creature scramble past and hide back into the trees. After that, the group spent the next couple of hours huddled in the farmhouse, listening and watching for movement and occasionally hearing scraping sounds on the roof. Oh, my God. Huh? Around 11 p.m., the whole group makes a run for it. They get in their cars and they speed away to get help in Hopkinsville. So the police are like, okay, let's go investigate. Yeah. So they head out to the farm. They find several shell casings on the farm, but no other evidence. They don't see any scratches on the roof. There's no blood trail. There's no trails, period. There's no footprints other than the family's footprints around the house. Uh, They also are like, hmm, maybe they were drinking and that's why they saw things. Yeah. They found no alcohol at the house either. Huh. Now, according to the family, after the police left, The creatures came back around 3 a.m. And they were just like, nope, we're done, and fled the house. Oh, my God. Over the next couple of days, the story hits the press. And police are like, oh, my God. And all over the country, people are talking about this poor farm family who got attacked in the middle of the night by small little beings. Yeah. So the police go back out to the Sutton Langford Farm and search the property again, this time also searching the woods behind the house for any sign of a UFO landing. Still, they found nothing. Mm -hmm. So what the hell happened? Was it a hoax for publicity? Was it a group hallucination? Well,
0: I know what may have happened. One of the theories.
1: I have that theory as well. I think you'll laugh kind of hysterically, too, because it goes a little bit more (laughs) into it. So at first, the more uh, contemporaneous investigations really looked to see if maybe this was a group hallucination. They couldn't find any evidence of that. Some of the key facts that could help explain what the Sutton-Lankford group experienced were that there was indeed a small meteor that fell from the sky on August 21st, and it would have been visible from Kelly, Kentucky. That means that whatever Billy Billy Ray saw, it was definitely something bright that streaked through the sky that night. Yeah. As for the creatures, several investigators point out that the creatures could have been great horned owls, Mm -hmm. also known as hoot owls. I cackled hysterically because one of the articles had an illustration of a hoot owl. I couldn't tell if it was landing or running, but it looked hilarious.
0: Yeah. No, it's so weird to see an owl run because you <laughs> don't even realize that they actually have like full blown legs.
1: Yeah, there's these skinny, skinny legs. So they're the same height as these creatures. They're three, two to three feet tall, generally tend to be more close to two feet tall. They have these long wings that kind of look like arms because yeah. they, again, extend two or three feet, claw like talons. They have these horn-like ears and they have super round heads with these like reflective yellow eyes. And it turns out they get real aggressive when people get near their nesting territory. Plus they can fly silently and they often do flips in the air and their skinny long legs that you see are Mm -hmm. very visible when they're doing uh, sudden landings and takeoffs. Yeah. So while nocturnal, the horned owls tend to be active mostly at dusk, so it doesn't 100% align with what the Suttons say they experience. Mm-hmm. And they often aren't super hostile. They're aggressive and protective, but they won't, like, be... Full-on attack you. Yeah, full-on attack you. So something weird definitely happened that night to that group, but it sounds like it could have been a case of mistaken identity.
0: Yeah. Who knows? <laughs> and we both made a who joke. <laughs>
1: So, Eden, what do you think about all the strange UFO
0: weirdness in Kentucky? I think it's insane. Is that the end of your story? Yep, yep. Okay. Well, I have something to add then. Totally. Um, The phrase little green men actually came from this case as well.
1: That's true. I did see that in my research, but because it wasn't. Because they
0: said that they were gray men, mm-hmm. but a misprint made it into green men. So that's, and the gray thing comes along with like a lot of alien sightings Mm -hmm. because there's supposed to be a race of aliens called the grays that have the big black eyes and gray skin. Um, But yeah, that's where the little green men phrase comes from because a newspaper printed it wrong.
1: Interesting. See, I didn't have that tidbit. So when I kept coming across this like weird proclamation that they, that the Sutton didn't describe them as little green men, I'm like, that's weird. They keep saying that. Yeah. (laughs) But that makes a lot of sense if it was like a misreport.
0: Yeah. It was so weird. Um, th- that story is just insane.
1: <laughs> yes.
0: And like I said, it made me kind of just freaked out by owls a little bit now, even though they're one of my favorite animals. Bit, but yeah. they are a little weird. They can turn their head all the way around and they have weird legs. Yeah. Just,
1: glorious no. creatures. Glorious creatures. They're
0: beautiful and majestic. But and terrifying. And yeah, they're terrifying.
1: <laughs> I did think it was interesting too when you think about like how this would affect. People grew, living in Kentucky during the later half of the 20th century, right? So you have this like really famous military plane crash mm-hmm. for, caused by presumably a UFO. And then you have these, you know, this.
0: Well, it was definitely by a UFO because UFO right. only means unidentified flying objects. So it doesn't exactly. have to be an alien.
1: Exactly. And then you have the, you know, Hopkinsville Goblins, which is this great story where we now get the phrase little green men, mm-hmm. even though they weren't green. So that's something that's always like, you know, you know about it growing up in Kentucky. And then all of a sudden, you so anytime you see weird lights in the sky, wouldn't you naturally kind of jump to that? I oh, think yeah, I would, absolutely. Like, I think hmm. that's why yeah. the South
0: has more like UFO sightings than most other places, because people are kind of like programmed to think that now. Yeah.
1: yeah. Plus, I mean, there's a lot of like military bases, too. Oh, where yeah. It's like, you know. A lot of rural things,
0: and I mean, from the things that I've seen on TV about UFOs and stuff like the alien encounter stuff like that. Yeah, a lot of it is people in the military that end up seeing it.
1: Yeah, I mean, it makes sense too that it's more in like more rural areas too because. Yeah, light pollution. It's like I can't remember the last time I saw. You know,
0: you can barely see the freaking sky. Yeah, a shooting yeah.
1: star in like an urban area, but it's like you're out in the middle of nowhere, and it's like you see everything. So. I've still
0: never seen a shooting star oh, in my life, and yeah. it's so sad because every time people me are like, "Wow, look a shooting star," and by the time I look, I'm like, "It's, it's gone." gone.
1: <laughs> I've only seen them like way out in the country. Yeah, but yeah. So that's my story for this week. My sources were Wikipedia, in your state unusualkentucky.blogspot, ky for kycom completelykentucky.fandom.com, and history.com.
0: That just made it sound like you're advertising KY Lube. I know, um, I know.
1: It took me a while to figure out what that website... KY. When I was looking at that website, I'm like, KY Forky? No, that's Forky. not right.
0: <laughs> no, there was one like that in Tennessee where it was like really weird and it had the abbreviation TN. So I'm like, how do I say this? Oh, mm-hmm. okay.
1: Oh, that makes sense.
0: Uh, I also do have a weird little experience that I wanted to tell you all about. Oh yeah. Um, I don't know if it was anything. It could have just been an animal, but it was weird. So I was driving home from work because I now like leave work at midnight, which kind of sucks, but oh, well I was driving home. It's completely dark out down this road that I go. There's no lights or anything. And I see something come out of the trees and run across the road. But it has like these glowing amber eyes, and then it just disappears. Nope. It was really bizarre, and like I mean, I thought I'm like, well, the eyes are glowing amber, but it could just be that they're like you know reflective mm-hmm. eyes, like a lot of animals have. But I mean, how big was it? It was probably about, I'd say like around like one and a half two feet.
1: Mm. That's good. It's not a werewolf then.
0: It was weird. Very, very freaking weird.
1: <laughs> well, I'm glad you didn't hit with your car. No, I didn't. Because if you did, then you would have been like, "It was a skunk!" God damn it. Yeah, right. Exactly.
0: <laughs> no, it didn't move like a skunk. Cause skunks uh, have that really weird run that you see. Yeah, that see. lope Yeah, run. Yeah. So I don't know what it was, but it was probably an animal. So I'm not going to think too much about it. But it was just very creepy. And my headlights had to be hitting it just right for it to actually be an animal, because no animals' eyes just glow. Yeah. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. Creepy. I hate driving at night sometimes because of the possibilities of, like, oh, things yeah. darting every car. Oh, yeah. Because
0: that road, too, I see deer a lot on it. Mm-hmm. So I'm always worried. Like, the speed limit's 50 miles an hour, and there's deer. I'm, you <laughs> yeah. know, a little freaked out by that.
1: You could always get a deer whistle for your car. Deer whistle? Oh, yeah. I learned about them in Massachusetts when I asked my wife what the hell those things were on all the cars. Oh. And they're apparently these little plastic things you can attach to, like, the roof of your car, or, like, your hood, and it makes a whistling sound when you're driving that's uh i think it's outside the range of human hearing it might not be but it's very faint to human ears but deers hear it and it like keeps them away from the road oh well that's
0: good yeah yeah that actually sounds like something i might want to invest in
1: Mm -hmm. maybe i'll surprise you maybe everyone deserves presents (laughs) anyway i think that's it for our show today right
0: yep that's everything
1: all right cool if you liked what you heard, if you want to share your own strange weird encounter, if you have any suggestions, or if you just want to say "Hi, Eden and Nicole, you can do that by sending us an email at show at gmail.com.
0: You can also find us online at roadsideharorshow.podbean.com.
1: We are also on the social medias because who isn't these days? On Facebook and Instagram, you can find us at Roadside Horror Show and on Twitter we are Roadside Horror.
0: We'd also like to thank Yox Rocks Designs for our logo and E. Massey for our intro and outro music.
1: Until next week, Roadsters, creep creep on, on, creepin' on.
0: on.